Welcome to the New York State Bar Association's Miranda Warnings, where we debate, discuss, and dive into law-related issues important to all of us. I'm Dave Miranda, past president of the New York State Bar Association and partner at the intellectual property law firm of Heslin, Rothenberg, Farley, and Messier. On this week's Miranda Warnings, we're recording live at the New York State Bar Association's Tech Summit in New York City. And we're here today with Ignatius Grande, who's a speaker at the New York State Bar Association's Tech Summit. Welcome, Ignatius. Thanks. Thanks for having me, David. Ignatius is with the Berkeley Research Group, uh, where he focuses on advising clients on information management, electronic discovery, and data privacy. And he's also an instructor at St. John's Law School on e-discovery. So, uh, Ignatius, we're going to talk a little bit today about uh, the importance of uh, electronic communications in a lawyer's life and a lawyer's practice. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you're seeing here with respect to the use of mobile devices and messaging in a lawyer's uh, daily practice. Sure. Uh, you know, it really has changed. I, I, if you go back 10 years ago, even five years ago, so much of the communication that mattered in cases came from emails. Uh, or, or documents on computers, but you know, just within the last couple of years, we have so many more communication methods. Uh, you know, everyone now on their mobile device will, will text message, of course, but beyond that, you have different messaging apps, WhatsApp, you know, different people use. Their apps used in different countries. WeChat is used a lot in, in Asian countries. And then you have these ephemeral messaging apps, uh, Confide, being one of them that that will automatically delete messages. So it's really become a challenge for lawyers uh, to to deal with these these ways of communicating and to find the information out there that's relevant to their case. Right, not only for for lawyers in their practice, but lawyers in dealing with their clients. So obviously, uh, there is a wealth of new ways in which uh, lawyers can find information that would be discoverable, certainly, in uh, a lawsuit, whether it be civil or criminal. Tell us a little bit about, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, services like uh, WhatsApp, where it's not, you don't necessarily keep control over all the data because it's, you know, in the cloud somewhere, and uh, what some of those experiences might be like. Right. Well, it's become, you know, you have your mobile device and Obviously, there's more now on your mobile device than there ever was before, but a lot of people don't realize what's on their mobile device, it's, it's not everything that, that they will use their cell phone for. So WhatsApp is a great example where you may look on your phone and, and see, think you've deleted a message, but it may be backed up to the cloud and be available there. Some of these apps, t Telegram, Confide, you're not even going to find them on the mobile device. So someone could, could take your mobile device and they're not going to be able to access all those messages. They would have to go to the cloud and have your credentials to access the data there. If it's automatically deleted, it wouldn't even be there. But and of course, if you're in a legal proceeding, a criminal matter or even civil, uh, you might have to provide access to those things. And maybe you can give us an example of when that happened and uh, the effect that it had. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, th I think we, I mean, in a lot of cases you have to turn over your mobile device. I mean, that, it's become a challenge in civil cases and criminal cases. Uh, you know, in, in, in civil cases, you know, we, uh, we deal with a lot of matters where you have to preserve information when there's, a, let's say, a regulatory inquiry or an internal investigation. And more often than not these days, the mobile device 
has relevant information, especially if it's a work device. I'm particularly thinking about the recent case involving Paul Manafort, where they, you know, went into his, uh, you know, handheld, didn't have a lot of information, but there was a trove of information uh, in uh, some of these apps. Right. So, so that with that example, what what happened was, you know, and that was more in a criminal context where the government had received his mobile device, you know, didn't get information off of the mobile device, but they believed that there had been witness tampering and they were able to subpoena um, the, the, uh, the mobile device provider, the, the, uh, the phone provider to get access, to, or actually, I'm sorry, they were able to subpoena Apple to get access to the, app, the backups of that that phone on the on the on the iCloud, and what they find, and they found, sure enough, there were backups of WhatsApp messages that he thought had been deleted, that in fact had actually been backed up to the cloud. So, you know, it, it is, it, it, you know, there's a lot of information out there, and and even when you 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 act, you, you uh, image a phone, you often have to have someone do it who really knows where to look and to almost do it in different ways because you may image a phone and stuff may not be immediately visible, but there oftentimes is information on that phone and it depends on the tools you use to, to find messages or find geolocation. I mean, that's another issue that, that's coming up more and more is all the geolocation you know, information on the phone that will say, you know, David Miranda walked into this hotel at a certain time, accessed the wireless network, you know, then walk down the street to go have lunch and walk back. And, you know, a lot of that is people don't realize it's a lot of it is recorded and can be pulled off a device or sometimes is saved to the cloud. That's why I record this podcast. It gives me the perfect alibi for whatever crimes <laughs> you're going to accuse me of. The, uh, you know, the uh, devices like uh, Amazon Echo and Fitbits and Slack, uh, uh, and other social media apps um, are changing how we practice law. Uh, tell us a little bit about what your experience is in that regard. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's just it's become a lot more challenging to when when a, when you get involved with a case to to know where the relevant information is going to come from, and it's a challenge. As you said earlier, but both for for your own client and for the other side, what you know, what information you want to request from the other side. But with audio, there, there's, as you, as you mentioned, Amazon Echo, there now a multitude of personal assistants. There, there's you know, the Amazon Echo, uh, there, there's a Google device, there, there's Siri on your phone, and you know, th it's going to And all these devices uh, are going to testify against you in court uh, when there's a, a criminal proceeding. Well, it's already happening, right? where, where, where there are requests for information from these devices. Now, they're usually not on the device. You have to get the information oftentimes is in the cloud, but if, especially in a criminal matter, those that information is being provided. And in, in civil cases where it, it may be, you know, especially with Fitbits, you may have information that's, that's relevant to a personal injury case or could be potentially relevant. You know, admissibility is always a challenge, but you know, it, it's, it's really a fun time because there's a lot out there, but you know, the, the key is to keep, keep track of all of these new technologies and how they can be used because, you know, and especially with communications, they're just many, many new ways that people can communicate with each other. Even gaming, you have, you know, my son taught me some of this, but you know, they're now with games, you can communicate through the games and messaging systems. And there's other apps that will, you can post yourself playing a game, but you know, there's more and more, it's not just, 
the again, not emails, not even just the text messages on your phone. There's there's a lot of stuff out there. I think there was an episode of Homeland where the uh, some of the protagonists were communicating uh, with via uh, a video game that you could have uh, extra uh, external. Uh, participants on and so I think it was uh, somewhat terrorist was being followed and uh, didn't want wanted to keep his family uh, apart from him but also wanted to communicate with them and was communicating through these uh, one of the uh, of, of video game right, uh, right. And to, about his whereabouts and providing instruction etc so it was crucial. No, it's become, I mean, that, that's, that's a great example. And it's become easier you know, if, if people do want to try to hide information to, to try to hide it. So, you know, especially in a criminal context or, you know, even in a, in a contentious dispute, you want to make sure you're asking the right questions and not just saying provide us relevant emails because right. there's so much more than that now. And how are you seeing, you know, these, uh, these apps and social media changing how lawyers are practicing on just on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, you know, I mean, lawyers are actually using some of the apps. I think sure. it, it's, you know, it, it, it you know, they're, they're not because a bad thing. Because our clients are too. I mean, so yeah. lawyers are, I think, generally slow adapters, but uh, we go where our clients are. And uh, clients want to be, uh, you know, uh, communicated with uh, in this fashion, and you'll you'll use it. Right, and you know, but there are challenges. I mean, th then you start getting to what what information if you need to preserve your client attorney communications. You know, it, it's become yeah. more. You know, you know, your emails are preserved, but now, you know, oftentimes it's not the best idea to be communicating with clients via text message, because then now now you have to preserve that and comply with the ethical guidelines. So, you know, yeah, it's it, it's a challenge though because, you know, oftentimes a friend may be a client and will text you in their regular course of business and now you're their lawyer and they're texting you and oftentimes you have to t tell them, you know, let's it's ha different. It's have different. our work and communications it, in this And it's hard manner. to give legal advice in, uh, you know, 280 cat, uh, 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 key words. You right. Know, right? Uh, right. Right. So, of course. you know, so there are social media, uh, rather, there are ethical guidelines that the lawyers have. Many of them were put in place when there was no Internet or social media. And uh, you were the co-chair of uh, a committee of the New York State Bar Association's Commercial and Federal Litigation Section that actually looked into uh, providing uh, uh, guidelines for attorneys, ethical guidelines for attorneys on social media. And I'd like to talk about that a little bit. Why is that, uh, why is it so important that we have social media guidelines for lawyers? Well, so th th this first happened back in 2014 when uh, I co-chair the committee, it was uh, Mark Berman, and we looked at this issue just, and we said, you said there, at the time there, was a, there were a lot of social media ethics opinions that were starting to come out um, but they were all over the place. There was an ethics opinion on, on one issue, an ethics opinion on another issue. And what we decided at that time is, you know, we thought it would be useful for practitioners uh, to have one set of guidelines that brought that all together uh, for, for New York State, but even even beyond New York State to kind of, you know, because you know, the, the guidelines are focused on New York State ethics opinions, but we'll reference other states' ethics opinions and how they differ in the footnotes. So, uh, you know, our, our idea was, not to make new guidelines, new new 
regulations that weren't there. But to try to apply the rules that are already in place and to explain how they might fit with uh, the technology that really wasn't contemplated before. And of course, it was focused on New York, but you know, the, the technology and the social media is across the country. And uh, th these guidelines in 2014 were amongst the first comprehensive guidelines uh, in the country. And I know that they were uh, you know, lauded at the time and referred to by other states and national bar associations as uh, really setting the standard for how we can go about uh, approaching these issues. Yeah, no, we have a great committee and you know, really, you know, we try to look at, and in fact, the, 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 the social media committee is now the Social Media and New Communication Technologies Committee. So our, our focus is, is looking at how these new technologies are, are affecting lawyers. And, and you know, I, I think with social media, it, it really has, affected cases we were talking more about messaging but with social there's a lot of overlap and even in all these social media platforms you have facebook messenger you have twitter message messaging but you know people are communicating within facebook within all these with you know even through instagram so you know the president communicates on twitter so that, you know there's there's a lot of information out there and you know you know, again, with the guidelines, what we tried to do was put it in, in you know, kind of make it in an organized manner. We have a section on attorney advertising, on uh, competence, attorney competence, on providing legal advice. You know, there are a lot of separate issues to think about, you know, advising your, your clients on, on how to use social media and making sure they're not deleting information that, that they shouldn't be. Right. And, and one of the, the first guideline you have is regarding attorney comp competence. And you said... You say in the guideline, a lawyer has a duty to understand the benefits, risks, and the ethical implications associated with social media. Um, and so, including its communications, its use for communication. So, uh, is there an ethical duty for an attorney to be on Twitter? And, and if so, should they be following me on, at uh, Warnings Miranda? Uh, That'd be advisable, but, <laughs> but no. I mean, the, the obligation is to understand the technology. So, you know, there's no requirement to have a social media account. I, I think social media is a, a great platform. To it is hard with to people. understand the concept unless you're actually participating in it. I right? agree. Yeah. Right? To yeah. understand what a, you know, what a like is or a retweet or uh, how you can reach people and how they can reach you. It is, hard, it is difficult to do that if you're not actually on Twitter. Right. No, that, that, that's very true. And that's why, you know, and, and, but the reality is not every lawyer is going to be on Twitter or on social media. But what those folks have to do is have the, be, have the right people working with them, either for them or with them, that can, can advise them on those issues. And what if they don't understand it? Then what is it? Some sort, some sort of breach of uh, ethical breach? I, you know, it has the potential to turn into a breach. If, if there's an attorney that, that doesn't understand the rules and as a result doesn't preserve information that's relevant for a case when there's an obligation to do so, right. you know, they're, they're at risk of sanctions. It's happened in social media, in cases where social media was, was deleted with, with the attorney's involvement and, you know, not only the, the uh, party, but also the attorney were sanctioned there was one case where they were suspended from the practice of law for several, for I think five or ten years. So yeah, you, you know, you, if if you you want to make sure you understand what you're doing with with social media, with any of this technology. And right, and of course, if you're involved in litigation, whether it be civil or criminal, uh, you have a duty to preserve the 
every, every, everything that may be relevant uh, to that case. And oftentimes social media uh, is a treasure trove of valuable information uh, so uh, across the board. So if you're talking about, for example, a personal injury case and someone says I'm incapacitated, but their social media shows that they're traveling or bowling or playing baseball or running a marathon, uh, it would be a violation if uh, that person deleted it so that it wouldn't uh, end up coming out in, in the trial. And it would be an ethical violation for the attorney if they uh, didn't advise their client not to uh, delete that. Right. And, and also, I mean, looking at the other side to know, you know, if you're in a personal injury case or if you're involved with a, even a matrimonial litigation where it's relevant, to, you need to be looking at what's on the other side, what they've posted, uh, and, and you know, oftentimes do that early in a case so you know what's out there because then sometimes people will delete or hide things and then it's yes. not available. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because uh, there's so many interesting areas here. But uh, how much snooping can you do of the other side into their uh, social media accounts? So I'm an attorney and I've got an adversary. Uh, you know, what can I do to uh, look at their information? Some information is public. Some information is behind, you know, could be considered private in, the, in that I have to be accepted uh, in, into their inner circle to look at the information. So how much can I look at and what do I need to be careful of? So if it's public, you can look. So, so you know, that, that's one of the, if, if, you know, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, um, you know, any social media platform, as, as long as you aren't friending that person or, or joining their network, you can do so. You know, you also can can ask others, to, you know, someone on the other side to, to be have access to their network. But you know, that's where it gets a little tricky. And in New York State, you have to disclose who you are and and not be deceptive. And the the key with really with a lot of this part of the dealing with social media is, as a lawyer, you're not, you're not to deceive. So. Yeah. You know, you That's a pretty good rule across the board, even when we're yeah. not dealing with social media. <laughs> but yeah, you know, if you get, if you made a fake account with a fake name and and sent a friend request, that's that's an ethical breach. Um, but you know, I mean, the, the reality is, I'll, I'll tell you, even <laughs> for the most part, I think there's there's so much out there that's publicly available. Most attorneys have enough to work with there. Yeah, well, there's a ton of information and there's, you know, people, people post their own blogs and they talk about what happened on their daily uh, activities. Uh, you know, I was in a case once and uh, involving someone who was uh, fired from their job uh, and, or left the job rather. And that day, the boss wrote on his blog about the whole experience and wh how, why it happened and all this stuff. And it was all, and it was out there. Um, it was tremendous amount of discovery uh, that you can get just uh, by a Google search. Well, I think to, today, I mean, what's really changed is with, with social media, you know, you know and, and people grow up this way now or, you know, where they, uh, everything is on social media though. You know, it depends, some people, are more outgoing in that way than others. Well, there's but people that are graduating from law school now that are now lawyers um, that have never lived without the internet. Right. Right. Yeah. No. It's so. it's it, you know and, and one of the things I think that helps with this 
in this area of just dealing with technology is to take a step back because you know when you and I sit here, we let's say we meet a year from now, you know not much will have changed. We'll probably still have the same phones or similar phones, but you know I'll, I'll tell my students to you know when I was in your shoes in law school. You know, there were no iPhones, but not only were there no iPhones, there were no Blackberries. There were, there weren't even any mobile devices. That you, you know, your phone was the phone that you would, you know, on the wall, pick up on the right, wall, right? right. You know, so, so you kind of think of it from that perspective, and you know, it's a number of years, but over the course of ten years, fifteen years, things really are changing. You know, even even you know, Facebook. You, you go back twenty years ago, there was no Facebook. Um, you know, so it, it's it, you know th these these technologies are changing the way we, when they change the way you live, they're going to change the practice of law. Right, and how is it changing? Uh, let's talk a little bit about how lawyers go about a getting business and b then communicating with their clients. So, how is how is uh, internet and social media changing how lawyers go about seeking business or obtaining business? You know, I, I think it's become. I mean, just just generally, become easier to to. You know, it's easier to have a website, but you know, on social media, you you can develop a following from from what you're posting about. Uh, you know, but you know, obviously, there are caveats. We have a section on attorney advertising, um, and and that has become a bit of a complicated issue with social media and what caveats, what disclaimers you have to include if you're you know really doing attorney advertising on social media. You know, I think a lot of what people do that's successful, though, is not really advertising. It's adding value. So, you know, maybe posting an article about this technology summit. It may be posting uh, an something about a, a recent a, a opinion, a recent uh, you know, opinion by a judge. So, you know, a that lot of that is not attorney what, like, advertising. Uh, educational, for example, educational purposes rather than direct solicitation of business. And right. you talk, there's an ethical guideline in here uh, where you talk about um, public solicitation is prohibited through live communication. And by live communication, it means something like a direct message. So just like attorneys have, are not allowed to directly solicit somebody uh, for business, they can't do that same thing through uh, electronically or a direct message, right? So, um, so under the guideline, an attorney can't directly solicit business from a member of the public to do legal work. But however, they may, re if someone reaches out to them, they can respond and then uh, that could lead to uh, an engagement. Right. right. And, and, you know, I think another key, we were talking about this earlier, but, you know, you don't want to start communicating on social media with a potential client, you know, even if it's a private communication. Right. Definitely, you don't want to have public communications where you're, there's a possibility that you're giving any advice. Um, but as soon as, let's say someone does reach out and says they want to retain you or speak to you, it, it's advisable to quickly, you know, turn that into a regular communication, whether it be through email or have a call to discuss for that, that person retaining I always you. thought of that ethical rule to be akin to the standards that Dracula provides, right? So Dracula's not going to come into your house unless he's invited, right? right? right. And so uh, same thing for an attorney. Uh, not that attorneys are bloodsuckers, but uh, an attorney is not going to come in unless they're 
uh, invited. But if they're invited, they're allowed to come in and, and represent you. Um, and so that, I think, is an interesting thought because I think people, you know, even attorneys, uh, keep their guard up. But social media, the lines get blurred uh, because you're not having that direct communication. And people, there's a little sense of anonymity. And uh, I think sometimes people, uh, including attorneys, are apt to maybe let their guard down a little bit. And I know you're seeing in, in your line of work uh, a lot of areas in which attorneys are making mistakes. When I think area. when you say let your guard down, that's, that's a great th uh, thing to keep in mind because, you know, I, I, again, as we were talking about earlier, people sometimes just now will post about anything. And, you know, as an attorney, you need to oftentimes take, take a step back, take a breath before you, you know, whether it's a communication with a potential client, but, but even just your, your regular communications on social media, you know, there have been a number of stories, you know, in, in recent years where attorneys have gotten in trouble for what they've posted on social media. Uh, in fact, there was a recent case of a judge posting something on social media in which they were disciplined. So, you know, I, what I, were they posting about? What it, was the judge a, posting a about? A noose. Um, and I see. saying that certain folks should go to people should go to jail. And it was it was seen as a, as a racist uh, post that he said he had intended it that way. But again, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you may you know, when you post something, you may have something in mind, you know, with the, what you're saying. So, you know, oftentimes, you know, these days with politics being so um, so contentious, you know, that that's an area where, you know, sometimes law firm partners have posted information, you know, posted statements that have then come back to as a reflection as a reflection on on the the law firm there was uh there was something uh that was provided where uh you said uh that uh, you know a lawyer shouldn't be uh taking it was about positional conflicts and a lawyer shouldn't be posting something on social media um that might conflict with uh, a position that one of the firm's clients might have. Now, that's uh, a really, I think, a real difficult uh, standard, I think, to meet. Uh, it is, and it's not. Now, that that's, uh, was actually a D.C. ethics opinion that, that raised that, that issue. So it ha it, in, in New York, though, you know, it's, it's been discussed, and I, I think it's, yeah, it's difficult. But, you know, I, I, again, part of it is kind of thinking before you're, you're, you're posting, you know, especially posting in you know statements or assertions or or that are that are controversial but uh but yeah i think that the key is you know people have to realize when they post on social media even if they're on facebook and they think it's within their small group of friends anything you post can become public you know it just takes one of those friends to can and will be used against you yeah right exactly it just takes one person to release it and then it's it could be out there for all the world to see and so uh, tell me about uh, some of the other, you know, ethical dilemmas that uh, lawyers find themselves in that you that these guidelines are uh, designed to cover. Um, well, another one is, is dealing with jurors. So, yeah, that's very interesting. You know, so I think that, you know, a lot of lawyers these days are will, will research jurors. So, you know, this was an area that I, that I I think is very interesting with LinkedIn. We haven't talked about LinkedIn very much, but that's more of a, you know, people have kind of their resume, have information about their employment. Um, but let's say you have a list of 10 potential jurors, 20 potential jurors. 
you ask a, an associate at your firm, can you look up these names, see what you can find? You know, they're all New York residents, New York City residents, and they do Google searches. The first thing that oftentimes will pop up is, or something toward the top is a LinkedIn profile, if it's a relatively unique name. You click on that LinkedIn profile, and if you're logged in and you don't have privacy setting, privacy settings set up properly, that person could get a notification that David Miranda or Joe Smith has viewed your profile. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if it's, if it's uh, it, that's an interesting issue because be first thing we we talked about was being able to access things that are public, and then on LinkedIn you can look at public information two ways. One is you can look at it kind of surreptitiously so they don't know who you are, who's looking at it, or you could look at it as who you are. And I think for the surreptitious method, don't you have to like pay extra or something? Isn't there a fee on LinkedIn to, you can hide your identity when you look? No, you can, even with a free you account, can. you can hide your identity. Yeah. And, and then uh, the, or you can, they can see who you're looking at and uh, who, who's looking at their account. And so that could be a problem if you're looking at a juror's uh, LinkedIn account and you've got your name associated with it. Now they know that you're looking at them. And uh, now suddenly that might provide them with some feeling of either positivity or negativity towards you or your law firm. Yeah, in fact, there's a New York ethics opinion that says that's an ethical breach for a lawyer to do that. So now the ABA, But it would be okay if a lawyer did it surreptitiously. So exactly. As long as, as long as you can't be found. But if you are logged in and they see your name or your firm's name come up um, and they raise that with the judge, there is a New York ethics opinion that says you should not have any communi yeah, that that's construed as, as a communication to a right. certain extent. It's really not a communication. And, but and a juror might consider it to be a little maybe creepy. Well, right? yes. And, and in fact, you know, and then I, I, there's an ABA opinion that says that's okay. But re really, regardless of the ethics opinions, judges, there, there is a, a, a history here where that's come up in cases. There was a case in the Southern District of New York where a judge a juror came up to a judge, said they were being cyber-stalked by one of the, the, the firms, and uh, they almost declared a mistrial in the mm -hmm. case. You know, just, just for that, it's interesting, you know, just looking at it from an ethical perspective. So, you know, when jurors are involved in a case, they're not allowed to talk about the case. They're not supposed to, you know, do outside reading about the facts of the case if it's a public, public high-profile case. Um, why can't we have an ethic rule, ethics rule that, you know, if you're an attorney in the case, you're allowed to question a juror and when you're going through jury selection. And in open court, everybody can hear. You can ask whatever question you want. Um, but beyond that, why do you need to do other additional investigation? What is the reason that you need to do additional investigation about a juror? And perhaps uh, all of that should be precluded. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, oftentimes it's an issue that you need to know, understand the judge in the case because some, ju some judges do not like that or, and other judges will see that as a standard situation where you're going to research the jurors. But, um, but it, you know, some, some judges, in fact, will tell the jurors that, that the, the other side, that attorneys may be looking you up to give them some advance warning. If they do see one of the firms come up, it's because they we were, were looking at their, their history. But, you know, there, there was another case where a juror, um, later on in the matter, they found they, they this one of the parties found out they, this was a, was a tobacco case and that they had 
posted all this information against the tobacco industry and they hadn't disclosed that uh, during the question. It didn't come up. So then the, the question So they comes, were asked, do you have any you know, prejudices against the tobacco industry that uh, y you can't put aside? And they said, no, you know, we're perfectly fine. And then it turns out that they have this history of uh, neg negativity towards the industry. And then one of the issues that came up was why they didn't find, why the attorneys hadn't looked this up in the first place. So, I see. So it does go so both did ways. It, did the attorney have an obligation to, to do that kind of background check? You know, I mean, I mean, in that case, the judge expected that they, they would have done that investigation to, to a certain, you know, if it, if it was that public. I mean, if it's one post on a, on a, public, a social media page, no one's going to expect that if you kind of have a public profile. Yeah, and, you know, in, in that situation they did. But, you know, I, I do think it's a judge-by-judge judge situation. You have to know the case you're in and be, be wary of getting in trouble for, you know, because, I mean, these days it's not just looking up a LinkedIn account. You know, the, the, you know, you can do a lot of social media research uh, ahead of a case if, if you have the names and you have time to do it to, to see, you know, to, to decide who are the jurors you want to object to and which are the ones that, might, you know, that you'd want on your on your jury. So, you know, you did a comprehensive ethical uh, guideline in 2014. Now it's only five years later, which is, you know, an eternity, I think, in, you know, the tech area. So you, you, we did an update now with the ethical guidelines. What are you seeing uh, that there are going to be big issues, uh, you know, five years from now uh, for attorneys ethically? Well, I think attorney advertising, it is an area where the, the, um, the ABA is, is starting to try to streamline how you deal with advertising. And I think, I think New York and other states are going to follow suit. And hopefully that'll, that'll make it a little easier as far as attorneys' presence on social media and having a, a law firm page and, and you know, what your obligations are. Because, you know, right now, I mean, you know, we didn't talk about it on Twitter you, you know, you really have the same obligations that, that you do on LinkedIn or on Facebook. So, you know, you have to, sometimes you have to include a disclaimer. And when you have a, a social media platform that has a limit on the number of characters you can use, that can be a challenge. So at any rate, you know, that, that attorney advertising definitely is an area that's, that's going to change. You know, I, I think aside from that, it's hard to predict. I, I think there's, as technology changes, the ethics rules you know, will adapt. I, I, you know, I do think now you have a number of these social media rules that that do that tend to apply more generally to uh, to this sort of new new technology. So, um, but you know, I'm sure there will be developments that that come up that we have to deal with. Um, that we'll just have to you know even you know even with communicating, getting notifications. You know, these platforms change. That's another thing is to keep track of all the changes that occur. And, and whether it be Facebook, LinkedIn, any of these other social media platforms, sometimes it's, it, those changes can create new challenges. You mentioned a platform in, uh, I think, one of your writings called Slack. Um, I'm not familiar with Slack. What is so Slack is a, is a collaboration tool. It's, it's, it's kind of a messaging tool where um, employees will use it to communicate within a small group. I see. So Internally, kind of? Usually internally, yeah. but it, it can be between, you know, right. internally with that group, but the group doesn't have to be internally at a company. I see. But that's become another challenge to, you know, you may have a case where the Slack communications could potentially be relevant, so you have to then go about and preserve it and collect it, and, and those right. are, you know, all issues that, that can be a challenge. And you got to know enough to ask for it. Right. Discovery. Right. right. And, well, that, and that's that's the big issue is to, again, have the right, even for social media, to know what questions to ask. 
you know, and that's what I, you know, I, as a former lawyer, I get involved with a lot of those issues and how you can capture social media, what, what you're looking for, how to, how to find the information that's out there. Because it, it is, it's a challenge to, to even to understand all the systems and to know where to collect, you know, where are backups kept of, of whether it's mobile devices or backups of, of corporate information. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of, a lot of information well, out there's there. There's so much data, yep, right? Yep. There's so much data and it's not just being able to access it, being able to harness it in a way that's digestible and understandable, right? Of course. So uh, Ignatius Grande, it's been great to have you here on Miranda Warnings talking about social media and its legal implications. We have a feature on Miranda Warnings called Music Book or Movie. Is there an artistic performance of any kind that you'd want to share with uh, our audience, tech-related or or otherwise? Um, Well, just talking today about um, the History of Rome podcast. So we're doing a podcast here today. That's been a podcast that I never studied the history of Rome. I wish I had as, as 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 a student, but that's a, you know, Podcast. I think it's not a competing podcast, so it's probably all right to mention it. But uh, but uh, you know, if, if you're doing podcasts, that that's a great one. Some people have probably listened to it all already. But so I the history it. of Rome podcast, yep. and yep. who's that produced by? Um, not okay. not sure the name. And what? Who, who do they interview? Right? I mean, uh, it's just it's, it's no interview. No interviews <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> so it's not the same as this. <laughs> so it's like uh, it's like a historical. Yes. Historical history, history podcast, history of Rome. Yeah, I guess the material is endless, right? You could go on for go on for years. It, it is. Yeah, there's a lot. So, it's incredible how much information there is. So that's great. History of Rome, Ignatius Grande. Thank you very much for being with us on Miranda Warnings. Thanks for having me, David. Thanks for listening to Miranda Warnings. I encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to Miranda Warnings, a Nisba podcast, available on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts.